Let's count our blessings and say a little prayer before we start. Dear Heavenly Father, help us now as we open your word. Give us insight and wisdom to understand it. Bless us as we read it that it might thrill our hearts. Help us to know you better. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Our text is in Philippians. We've started a new series in the book of Philippians today. We're in Philippians chapter 1 for our text today as we continue looking through this book that's going to teach us about the church and what the church really is. My mother's sister was a lady named Frida. And Aunt Frida married a man named Leonard Addison Prindle. But to me, he was my Uncle Ed. And Uncle Ed was one of my favorite persons of all times. And if I were to try to describe him to you and try to help you to know what he was like, I would start with this. You just couldn't help but like him. I never knew anybody that didn't like him. Now, I can't say that about me. I know people that don't like me. But no, I never met anybody that didn't like Uncle Ed. People were naturally drawn to him. He lived in an old farmhouse that used to be a stagecoach stop way back in the day. There were seven bedrooms, and people came to visit Uncle Ed all the time. I'm not talking about for a night. I'm talking about for a week, two weeks. People even came and stayed for a month. Uh, some relatives came regularly. They had their own bedrooms. Auntie, one of my great aunts, had her own bedrooms. Others came for long visits. And that was a common thing with Uncle Ed. Always visitors in the house. And on a summer's evening, after supper, and the chores were done, we'd go sit on the old front porch on that old house. It was the length of the whole house. The porch was probably at least 60 feet long, maybe longer. And it was filled with old rocking chairs and other sorts of reject chairs that nobody wanted. And people would come from all over and sit on that porch after supper. And I have seen that porch full of people night after night who came to visit Uncle Ed. He sat and he told stories one after the other after the other in his wonderful way. He had a few jokes in between, and he entertained everybody on the whole porch. There was brothers, there was sisters, there were cousins and aunts and uncles. There were farmers and friends, neighbors and farmhands, a constant flow of visitors all drawn to his magnetic personality. Constantly coming and going, people all the time. And when Uncle Ed retired, he sold that farm and he moved up to a hill that he called Prindles Mountain. He named it after himself. And the people just came there just as much as before. My family, my family, my children uh, went and camped in his backyard every summer for 20 years. And as my kids grew, we sat on his new porch and sat with him out there. And uh, we used to sing songs every summer 
So we got to entertain him for all of the entertainment that he had given us. He was so happy when we used to sing on his porch. But you just couldn't help but like him. And you wanted to spend time with him. Wherever he was, people gathered. Now we started this new fall series from the book of Philippians. And the purpose of the study is to grasp the idea of what the church is supposed to be. Of which the church at Philippi that we're reading about is a wonderful example. Paul had been its first pastor. And the people of that church had a wonderful relationship. They loved each other. Paul loved them. They loved him. And Paul certainly would have visited those people if he had the chance. He was so drawn to them. But circumstances were such that he could not visit them. So he wrote a letter instead, which he dictated to a young friend named Timothy. And the people at Philippi were so happy to finally get this letter. Now what made him so happy? Because they were worried about him. Because the con- <coughs> excuse me, the latest news about Paul was all bad news. Now today, in our times, if you want to get the latest news, you turn on the TV and you watch the news. And I actually did that for five minutes this week, uh, which is rare. I seldom watch the TV news, but I did it for five minutes. And the Buffalo news was on about protesters in Buffalo. They went on for five minutes and they said what the protesters were protesting, why they were protesting, and what, who they were protesting. And, and then they showed a picture. It was about 20 people. That's all it was. I called them a bunch of bad-tempered, cranky, complaining people. <laughs> and who cares... What 20 complaining people are, are protesting in Buffalo. So I shut off the news and I watched another episode of Gunsmoke instead. <laughs> what they call news is often colored by someone's personal opinion. So I'm not interested in their opinion. So I avoid TV news and newspapers. Back in Bible times, of course, there were no newspapers or newscasts. Every bit of news came by word of mouth. But even then, it still reflected someone's opinion. And the news about Paul was bad news. But maybe it's just someone's opinion. So when Paul's letters arrived, the church at Philippi is so happy, now they could get news about Paul right from the horse's mouth, 
right from what Paul himself would tell them. So we're about to read Paul's personal letter to see what Paul says about his current situation, which they up to this point believed was bad news. Philippians now chapter 1, I'm beginning at verse number 12. But I would have that you should understand, brethren, that the things which happened to me... All right, so he says, I want you to understand my situation. Now, the bad news that they received was that Paul was in prison. Where? Where is he in prison? Well, he's in prison in Rome. Oh, boy. That's not good. Yeah, he's waiting to go on trial. Well, what court? Well, Caesar is supposed to hear Paul's case. Well, that is bad news. Caesar's a man named Nero. Nero is the enemy of anybody that's a Christian. And Paul is being tried, put on trial for preaching. And Nero may let him rot in prison for years and never hear his case. And so it's bad news. That was the news, that was the bad news about Paul. Paul said, now I want to explain to you what's happened to me. And so here he goes as to what happened to him. Verse 12, I would that you should understand, brethren, that the things which happened to me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel, so that in my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. Paul says he was under house arrest and every day they sent soldiers and those soldiers guard me every day but they come right from Caesar's palace. Special guards who live in Caesar's palace. And he says, here's the good news about it. Uh, I preach to them and I tell them about Jesus when they come to guard me. And so this wonderful gospel message is going straight into Caesar's palace. And people stop and see me and they bring me my daily food and I preach to them too. I got to tell you, it's really working out well. Where else could I be and preach to the people who live in Caesar's palace? Well, well. Come to find out, Paul isn't depressed about being in jail. Paul's not discouraged. He's not complaining about being held as a prisoner in Rome. He doesn't write a letter and say, Oh, pray for me, it's so bad in prison. Quite the opposite. He seems to be having the time of his life. (laughs) It's not bad news at all. Get Paul's opinion, and he says it's all good news. My friends, i got to tell you, I can't help but like Paul. He's got an indomitable spirit. He will not be held down no matter what happens. He sees good in everything. He is the eternal optimist. Listen to him talk. You'd think he was talking. Listen, you'd think he was staying in the best hotel in town. It's like he's on vacation. (laughs) Why is Paul so happy? He tells us why. Because he's preaching the gospel and that makes him happy. 
Now he gives more reasons to be happy in verse 14. Many of the brethren in the Lord waxing confidence in my bonds are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some people have heard that I'm in prison, says Paul, for preaching, uh, the, preaching the gospel. And they are inspired by my pr- imprisonment. And they preach more boldly, saying, Paul's in prison for preaching the gospel. I'm going to preach with the same spirit of Paul. Come what may. The gospel must go out. Now, my friends, watch this. Here's where you can't help but like Paul. Verse 15. Some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife. Some also of goodwill. The one preach Christ of contention, not sincerely supposing to add affliction to my bonds. Of the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. What then? Notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And I do therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. My friends, you just got to like this fellow Paul. (laughs) He says, some people are so inspired by my life that they go and preach the gospel. Other people, well, other people say this, that Paul, he's no good. He's in prison. And he probably got what he deserved. How can you trust a guy who's sitting in prison? Don't listen to Paul. Let me tell you the story of Jesus. I don't want you to listen to Paul. There were people, you see, who were jealous of Paul. Paul was a brilliant man, well-educated, full of talent and ability, They were jealous of his gifts, so they tried to run him down and destroy his reputation while he was in prison. Paul says, I don't care what they say about me. If they preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, that's what really matters. Either way, I'm inspired by Paul's example, so I preach the gospel, or I hate that guy, Paul, so I'll preach the gospel. Either way, it's all good as long as they preach the wonderful thing we call the gospel. So listen, my friends, Paul is telling us the number one mission of the church, its most important function is to preach this gospel. That defines the main reason that the church exists, to preach that gospel. So what is the gospel? Well, the word gospel means good news, God's spell, or good news, And here's what it is. God, because he so loved the world, came down. He took a human form. He was born as a human into Bethlehem's manger. He lived among men for 33 and a half years. And for 33 and a half years, he did what nobody else could do. He healed all manner of diseases. He walked on water. He calmed the storm. He fed 5,000 with five loaves and two fishes. He made lame men walk. He caused blind men to see. He preached to crowds of thousands. He even raised people from the dead. 
But after that, they took him and they crucified him. But he allowed them to do it because he was giving himself as a sacrifice for our sins. So he died and was buried. But after three days, he rose from the dead and he went back to heaven and they watched him go up. But before he left, he said this, tell my story. Go tell what happened to me. Tell the good news. Tell it all over the world. Tell it to everybody who will listen. That's what the church is supposed to do. Their number one mission that comes right from Jesus' mouth. Go preach the gospel. Tell the world the story of Jesus. Now Paul says, I'm doing my part. I preach to the soldiers and the workers who come right from Caesar's palace. I thank God that other people are preaching too. Some because they're inspired, some because they hate me. But as long as they preach that gospel, I love it. It's no wonder they love Paul. You can't help but like him. Now let's really get into Paul's head. You ready to get into that man's head? Verse number 19. For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Christ Jesus, according to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness as always. So now in Christ shall my magnif- be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. He says to them, now you pray for me. Jesus is going to help me. I don't ever want to be ashamed of Jesus. I want to be faithful to him and preach the gospel. And he says, I might live and I might die. Listen, my friends. This Caesar, who's supposed to hear Paul's case, he hates Christians. He was known to tie them to posts out in his yard and set them on fire so he could have torches for his parties. He was a bad man. This reputation comes down through history for us about this Nero. History tells us in one sentence that Nero fiddled while Rome burned. He just fooled around while the whole Roman Empire fell apart. He's not fit to govern. He's not fit to be a judge in Paul's case. He only cared about his own selfish desires. And Paul says, when I finally do stand before Nero, I'm going to defend my right to preach the gospel. He might let me go or he might kill me. And everybody who reads this letter knows there's a real good chance Paul is going to die at Nero's hand. And Paul knows it. His optimism isn't because he ignores reality. He knows that before Nero, his life is in the balance. So listen carefully to his words. Verse 21 For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I live in the flesh, this is a fruit of my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I wot not. For I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart, to be with Christ, which is far better. 
Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. Will you listen to this wonderful man? He says, I'm kind of torn. I can't quite make up my mind. I've got two wonderful choices, and I can't quite decide which choice to make. I could decide to keep living. If I do, I would give my whole life and my whole soul and all my energy and all my ability and strength and all my heart to Jesus Christ. If I choose to live, I'm going to live for Him. For me to live is Christ, He said. But I could choose to die, and that's a better choice for me. I'd really rather be much better off if I died. So it's a tough choice. Live, preach the gospel, or die. I can't decide which I want to do. Now my friends, I understand what Paul is trying to say, and I agree with him. You got to understand what the gospel really means. Jesus Christ came into the world and he lived and he died for our sins and he rose from the dead and he ascended up into heaven. Those are facts. Those are true statements, important things to believe. But if you just accept those five facts as important as they are, you kind of miss Paul's whole point. The gospel isn't just a list of facts. Some people preach it that way. That's not what it is. It's a person. The gospel is a person who is alive and well. And Paul says to us, let me tell you about this Jesus. He's so wonderful. He's so kind and generous. He's so pleasant and delightful that you just can't help but like him. It's not just a group of facts. He's a wonderful living person. And if you get to know him, you just can't help but like him. Paul says, he's so delightful and so thrilling. I want to be with him right now. I want to go sit on his porch and I want to stay at his house. So if I die, I get to go be with him forever. And I really want to go. They wrote that old song so well, that old Negro spiritual. You heard the choir sing it before. I want to see Jesus, Lord, when I die. I want to see Jesus, Lord, when I die. I want to see Jesus when I die. Shout salvation as I fly. I want to see Jesus, Lord, when I die. My friends, I know what he means. The gospel is about my friend Jesus. And I really want to see him. He said he would make a place for me in his father's house. I want to go sit on his porch and I want to sing a song for him. Levi sang this morning, face to face, oh blissful moment, 
face to face, what will it be when with rapture I behold Him? Jesus Christ, who died for me. Paul says of those two choices, I'm really rather drawn to that choice. If you knew Jesus like I do, you just couldn't help but love Him. And Paul said, that would really be good for me, but it would be better for you if I lived. And so he writes verse 25, Having this confidence, I know that shall I abide and continue with you for all your furtherance and joy of faith, that your rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ for me by my coming to you again. He says, here's my choice. I choose to live. I have confidence God will let me live because I promise to come and visit you again. Would you like me to come and visit? Wouldn't that be better for you if I lived? Well, my friends, I'm sure those people in Philippi cried when they read that part. That Paul, you can't help but love him. He wants to go with Jesus and be with Jesus so badly. But he would give it up so that he can come and visit us. Boy, when he gets here, we're going to hug him and we're going to kiss him and we're going to love him and cling to him. You can't help but love Paul. Now, my friends, you have looked deep into Paul's heart. Isn't he something? He is. He is. Next week, Paul is going to take us by the hand and help us to look deep into Jesus' heart. And I can assure you, you're going to like what you see there. So my friends, let the church at East Shelby preach the gospel, the gospel of a living, breathing person, Jesus Christ. Not just a list of facts, but His wonderful, delightful self. And I pray when you get to know Him personally, He will make your life wonderful. And when it's your turn to leave this world, you'll be excited to go. God bless you as you get to know Jesus, because you just can't help but like Him. Shall we pray? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank You for Paul's words that inspire us to believe in You, that call us to a higher purpose and meaning in our life. We want to tell the story of Jesus. Tell what You did. Bless us, Lord. Help us. That we might be friends with you. That we might be able to sing honestly. What a friend we have in Jesus. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. So bless us, Lord, as we trust in you with all our hearts. Help these folks, Lord, be with them. Bless them as they go from this place. And as we gather together again, we look forward to the time. We shall learn more about you that might inspire us to have great confidence in God. Bless us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. On the front of your bulletin that we finish up, we'll sing a song on the front of your bulletin, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. Stand together with us at home. It's on 332 if you have a hymn book out there. On the front of your bulletin, Turn your eyes upon Jesus.
soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see. There's light for a look at the Savior, and life more abundant and Before we finish up here, dear Lord, we thank you for the things that you have done for us today. We pray that our life would be uh, seeking after you, telling the gospel with those people who are uh, around us, Lord. And we know there are no mistakes. We pray that we would live for you. And we know that if we die, we will see you face to face. We look forward to that day, that wonderful day when we will see things as they are. We thank you for the blessings and the kindness that we have. Especially be with us and keep us safe throughout this week. Bring us back. Watch over these people. Protect us here as we meet together and throughout the week. And we just pray that our hearts would be ready to hear you again. We ask for all these things in your name. Amen.